in so many ways, uh, it is really hard for me to believe uh, that we are already in the Advent season. Um, it feels to me like 2021 has just kind of flown by more than years in the past. Uh, it feels like Christmas kind of snuck up on me. I don't know if you feel that way or maybe you've been ready for it for, for months but I hope that as you join us this Advent season, whether that's here uh, or, or for those of you online, uh, that, that it's an experience that continues to invite you deeper into the mysteries of who God is and the plans that he has for you, uh, that you'll discover a deeper sense of his peace, of his joy, of his love, of his hope, a deeper sense of faith this Advent season. Uh, you can see on the platform that there are various signs. These are, are themes that we'll be looking at this Christmas that are born out of one particular place uh, in Scripture. Uh, today we're looking at wonder. And so as we think about wonder, uh, what is wonder? Uh, wonder, most simply defined, is a sense of astonishment. It's a sense of uh, you know, amazement, a sense of surprise. It has to do with this, this deep sense of appreciation. Maybe even the word awe can be used at times. And so just as we begin thinking about wonder, what is it that provokes wonder for you? Well, what causes you to step back in amazement? What, what causes you to be surprised? I found an article from December 5th, 2012, that appeared in the Seattle Times uh, the writer, Jody Dietrich, talks about uh, the wonder of Christmas, and, and that in and of itself is not too surprising. I think we kind of anticipate that this time of year, you'll see articles in newspapers and magazines, digital or physical editions that speak of wonder when it comes to Christmas. But there's a very intriguing thought she shares towards the end of the article that I'll get to in a moment. She spends the first part of the article kind of recounting the traditional sense of Christmas wonder. Uh, that wonder that's expressed in songs like the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, and Andy Williams says that, you know, what makes this time so full of wonder is kids jingle belling and everyone telling be of good cheer. It comes from parties that we're hosting and marshmallows we're toasting and it comes from caroling out in the snow. Like, like that's what provokes the sense of wonder. Or what about the classic walking in a winter wonderland? Where does wonder come from there? It's that, that, that you, you walk out and you see the, the snow that's glistening and the, the crystals in the air and your, your icy breath and somehow that leads to a sense of, of wonder. Or how many of us think about those wide eyes of children? Um, maybe one that we babysit for or a child in our home or a grandchild as they see the tree uh, lit up. Or if uh, you're one of those uh, people that just goes all out for Christmas, maybe it's trees that they see uh, lit up in your home. Not one, not two, maybe three, four, five, six. Um, you may have a problem, but, but you, they, they see they're captivated. Um, the, the, the tinsel, if people still use that, the, 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 the beautiful garland, the, 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 the eyes of a child as they drive uh, down the road with their parents and they look out to these beautiful displays of light, the, the gifts beneath the tree, the, the, the looking at this huge throne with Santa on it, or the contemplating an elf on a shelf. Like, like those, are, those are all things that we think of as a child that fills them with a sense of, of wonder. It's celebrated in movies. Uh, Red Rider, BB guns, and more. Wonder 
at Christmas. And so the, the writer, Jody Dietrich, in this article in the Seattle Times, she recounts all those traditional ways that we contemplate wonder, probably things you're already thinking about or, or have thought about before. But what gets me is as she writes the article and she recounts some of these things, she, she says this towards the end. She says, wonder is at the heart of Christmas. And that in and of itself doesn't seem profound, but here's what she follows that statement with. She says, I need to be led again into the wonders of the season, to be awe-inspired anew at the mystery of what God did for me in sending his son, Jesus, gift-wrapped as a baby to be my savior. So, so here she, she, she pulls in all those traditional things we think about, the, the wonder that we typically anticipate. And she says, wonders at the heart of Christmas. And she probably has her, her reading audience thinking, oh, yes. But here's why wonders at the heart of Christmas. And I, I changed the words a little bit to reflect more of the community of humanity. We need to be led again into the wonders of the season, to be awe-inspired anew at the mystery of what God did for us in sending his son, Jesus gift wrapped as a baby to be our savior. The wonder, the deepest sense of awe and astonishment and captivation and surprise evidenced in Advent comes because of what God did through his son, Jesus. And quite honestly, still does through Jesus. Now, if you are a disciple of Jesus or you're skeptical, maybe you're here by coercion, there's nothing in that last statement that surprises you. You expect on the first Sunday of Advent to hear someone say that the greatest sense of wonder comes because of what God has done through Jesus. But if you are a disciple of Jesus, we just lean into that thought for a moment? That mine and yours, our deepest sense of awe, astonishment, and amazement should come because of what God did in entering human flesh to be found in appearance as a man, to live and to show us what it truly looks like to live this God-focused life, to not just show us that it can be done and to resist the temptations that you and I face, but to be willing to die to make it possible for all of us to experience the life that he was living. That the God of all creation who formed you and fashioned you in the womb, who made you in his image, loves you so much that he would leave glory and come and be susceptible what you and I are susceptible to. And to make a way for us to be made new forevermore. That should evoke, that should incite, that should provoke an incredible sense of wonder and awe and astonishment that God loves me this much. And sometimes in the midst of all of the hustle and bustle to use a common cliche, we miss that sense of wonder. I hope that this morning that will be reignited for you. Where we're launching into our Advent series, we're going to be looking at one particular passage of Scripture in Titus, of all places. Um, it may seem unusual to go to Titus. Why aren't we going to Luke chapter 2? Why aren't we going to Matthew? 
If you've grown up in a more liturgical background, that means that if your church experience involves more of a following a predicted pattern or a set out pattern of scriptures, I'm thinking Lutheran church, Methodist church, Presbyterian church, then you likely grew up hearing Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 14 read every single Christmas Eve. It's a part of the liturgical calendar for those churches. But tucked into these words in this, what we would call this small pastoral epistle, this letter to a servant of Jesus named Titus, is one of the most succinct declarations of what we call the gospel. And if you don't know what gospel means, I'll define that for you in a moment. We, we land in Titus 2, not just because it's an incredible place to live in Advent as we contemplate the incredible love and grace and majesty of God in Jesus, but because it also serves as a fitting bow to put on the package of what we've been learning over the last year. In 2020, we just looked at the Gospel of Luke and we saw who Jesus is. But whenever you see who Jesus is, it demands a response. Like if Jesus is who the words of Scripture declare him to be, then he can't just be uh, put on a shelf to, to be distanced from. Like he, he's the Son of God who, who transforms and changes and has direction for our life. And so what does it look like to respond to Jesus? So we began here looking at this idea of King Jesus what it looks like to submit to his authority, to respond to him. And the last half of the year, we spent looking at how do we cultivate that heart for the things of God with spiritual disciplines. And so now we kind of wrap all of that together in this look at the, the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel is big. The gospel, that word comes from the Greek word euangelion. And so when you see the word gospel in scripture, it's translating this word euangelion that means a declaration or a herald of good news. Like, like, like this, this proclamation that would come from someone outside of the, 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 the scripture and our spiritual understanding, just even in the Roman world, someone would bring a good message of victory, uh, a message from a faraway place of, of news that would inspire and, and would make you glad. And, and so the gospel writers and, and Paul and others borrow that term to say, when we think about Jesus and what he's done, this is a message of good news. And the gospel is so much more than just the social gospel that looks at helping others be better and lifting oppression. That's certainly part of it, but it's not just a social gospel. It's so much more than just a transactional gospel where we look to what God has done and what that means for us and how it changes our lives. The gospel refers to who Jesus is, what Jesus has done and is still doing, and how we're to respond to that. That's the gospel. In Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 14, share that so succinctly. We're gonna read that in just a moment. Um, but before we do, something that I think is interesting to note is that verses 11 through 14 in Paul's letter in the original language are actually just one long sentence. Uh, why is that significant? Because it shows this disciple of Jesus so captivated by who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means for him and how he's to respond, that he just searches for words and phrases to articulate it. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at one part of that sentence each week. But before we get there, let's just read the whole thing, Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, 
it teaches us, that grace of God, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It changes how we think. It changes how we see the world while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us, to rescue us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That simple gospel, who Jesus is, one sent from God, what Jesus has done and is doing, he saved, he rescued, he redeemed, he, 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 he purifies us and helps us do uh, more than we could have ever done without him. How we respond to that, we are changed and we do good in this world for his glory. It's a succinct declaration of the gospel. When we think about Advent, when we think about Christmas, we often think of that first appearing of Jesus. We love to contemplate the story of a young child born to a virgin Mary and what that looks like and means. We, we love our mangers and the animals in the stable. We love the shepherds. All of that was evidence of God's grace. Let's just lean into verse 11 this morning and the time we have left. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Just look at the first part of that. The grace of God has appeared. What is grace? Grace, most simply defined, is unmerited or undeserved favor. That's when someone responds to you in a positive way and you've done nothing to earn that or to deserve it. Another way to translate grace simply is loving kindness. And I, I like loving kindness because it ties us back to the story that God's been authoring since the beginning. Again and again in the Old Testament, we hear God and his covenant love for his people. This loving kindness that he gives, this disposition of, of love and grace towards them. Grace is unmerited favor. It's loving kindness. It's something we don't deserve. And while we can define grace simply, the what, it's unmerited favor, it's loving kindness. We also know if we've experienced God's grace or the grace of another person or extended that grace, that it's so much more than a what. There's so much more wrapped into it. In the case of God, there's a who. It's at the core and the heart of who he is. And when we read about the grace of God in scripture, the, the grace of God is something that enables it's something that saves. It's something that sustains. There's power in that grace. Grace is so much. This favor that God gives, this loving kindness that he gives is transformative. And, and that's what appeared. The loving kindness of God appeared. It's a loving kindness that was timeless. We, we read Paul's words to Titus, the grace of God has appeared, and we read something very similar in first Tim, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. You can just thumb back a couple pages or uh, swipe back a couple pages in uh, your, your Bible that you're reading from. 2 Timothy 1, 9, speaking again of the gospel, 
Paul writes this to Timothy, a different man in a different place. He says, he, God, has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace, this unmerited favor, this loving kindness was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Wow. The grace that we talk about at Christmas, the appearing of God in Jesus Christ, looking out to what he would do, not just staying in a manger, but growing up and showing us how to live and ultimately dying and rising again and raising back to the right hand of the Father. That grace that we see, it was evident before the beginning of time, before the ages. That significant grace. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's a significant grace. The unmerited favor, the loving kindness of God appeared. It was visibly seen and experienced in Jesus. John, one of Jesus' beloved disciples, would write in John chapter one that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Like in looking at Jesus, you saw this loving kindness of God in in, in invisible form. It was seen, it was experienced. What we celebrate at Christmas is just the beginning of what God was doing and fulfilling what he had planned to do for all time. That grace of God appeared. And what was its function? Look at the last part of verse 11. To offer salvation to all people. The unmerited favor, the loving kindness of God comes in Jesus to bring salvation. Salvation speaks of deliverance. It speaks of rescue. So we have to ask deliverance from what? Rescue from what? As we read the rest of scripture, we see from beginning to end that deliverance is from sin. What is sin? Sin is our wrongdoing. Sin is our reckless behavior, particularly the reckless behavior that is opposed to God's best. It's our rebellion. It's our disobedience. It's the places where we shortcut and short circuit God's best for our lives. That's sin. And Jesus appeared and came, his grace, to to rescue us from our wrongdoing. That's that's the story of what we celebrate, and that should incite wonder. If we can acknowledge that we are all broken, that there is something in us that, that turns from God's best and pursues our own selfish desires, that there's something in us that, that tends to, to, to lean towards hedonism and pleasure-seeking for ourselves and opposed to what God's best is, and yet God in Christ appears to rescue us from that and to set us on a new path and a new direction. That God pursues us, that should incite wonder, that he loves us so much that he doesn't just stay in his heavenly realm and say, you know what, they're idiots, I'm moving on. But he says, no, I love them so much, I will pursue them. should incite wonder. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Look at the scope of that rescue, the scope of that grace. 
I love those words, all people, because it includes everyone. And that means that there is no one too messed up. There is no one too broken. There is no one too far gone. There's no one who's made such a wreck of their lives that God cannot use them, redeem them, and help them. It's for all people. And again, that should incite wonder. When was the last time you thought about your journey? When was the last time you remembered how broken you once were? When was the last time you were reminded how broken you still are apart from Jesus? And yet God continues to love us and use us and forgive us and set our feet on a path that's far better and greater. The scope of that grace, that salvation is for all people. That, that, that reminds me of those words that are famous in the Christmas story, the angelic pronouncement in Luke chapter two. In Luke two, verse eight, we hear about the shepherds and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. Uh, we know that to work with livestock was one of the lower societal positions in Jesus' day. And yet, who do the angels appear to? So not only do we have the declaration that salvation is for all people, we have it visibly represented that the angels didn't first come to Herod, the angels didn't first come to the Pharisees, the angels didn't first come to those who had it all put together and were living rightly and justly. No, the they came to the shepherds who would have been looked down upon in many cases. Salvation is for all people. This, this is the wonder of Christmas. This is what Jody Dietrich is, is writing about. When wonder is at the heart of Christmas, it's this reality that God's grace, his loving kindness, it appears in Jesus, yes, as a baby, but so much more than that as the one who grows up and the one who rescues and the one who saves and the one who sustains through the power of his spirit. And that salvation and that rescue and that hope is available to every one of us and it's present even now. We'll go back to the first word of verse 11, that word for. It may not seem significant. It's just three little letters. But when you see the word for or therefore in scripture, it tells you that what is about to come is linked to what has come before. And that word for should help us look back at what's happened in Titus already. And what's happened in Titus already is that Paul is encouraging Titus to the importance of appointing elders, spiritual leaders in the churches. Why? Because Crete is a place, that's where Titus is, that, that is known for its, its reckless living. In fact, he even quotes in chapter one, verse 12, one of Crete's own prophets, one of Crete's own significant influencers. If he was living in, in our world today, he would have his Instagram account and people would follow him and they would repost what this Cretan prophet spoke. And here's what the Cretan prophet said of his own people. Chapter one, verse 12. He said that Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. What a way to commend your fellow man. 
It was a statement of what life in Crete was like. People pursued what they wanted and did what they wanted, whatever brought them the most pleasure. They didn't care who they hurt and what happened to themselves or others. That's how they lived. And so Paul writes to encourage Titus. Why don't you find some good spiritual leaders? Because you know that the culture of Crete will be a threat to the church. And, and it'll, 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 it'll threaten those who are striving to follow Jesus as these new disciples. He calls out those who are already in the church, who are having trouble leading the, the, the brutality of Crete behind and the creating division within the church. And he turns in chapter two and he says, this is how you should live. And he speaks about young women and older women and young men and older men. He says, these are the ways that you ought to live. This is how you stand out against this reckless culture you live in. And then he turns to the gospel and says, remember, this is why. Four, here's the basis. Here's the reason why you live this different kind of life. Because the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness as we wait, as we wait for Jesus to come back and to make all things new because he's rescued and redeemed us. He says to this people, living in a difficult place in a difficult time, that the gospel is what helps you be the people you are intended to be. It's Jesus who transforms you. And when Jesus transforms you, look at the life that flows. Titus chapter three. I won't have this verse for you on the screen. These people that have been changed, it says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. So people in a culture that is not representing the very best of what God has planned for his people are encouraged to live differently because of what God has done in Jesus. And when they are changed and transformed by God's grace, what does their life look like? They're subject to rulers and authorities. They're obedient. They're ready to do whatever is good. They don't slander. They don't lie. They're peaceable. They're not divisive. They're considerate. They look out for others. And they're gentle toward everyone. And I can't help but think how much does Lebanon, Indiana, and how much does the state of Indiana, and how much does the United States of America need men and women, young and old, who've been transformed by the grace that appear that offers salvation to all mankind? How much do we crave in our present world for people to do what is good, to choose not to be divisive and slander no one, to be peaceable and to be considerate. How far would our gentleness go in changing and making a difference in our world? And it all starts with the wonder of God's grace in Jesus. 
And when that wonder grabs hold and that wonder incites and when that wonder invites and that wonder provokes, it, it helps us transform and to live for something different. And that's the story of Christmas more than anything, that we would be changed by this one who came, that we wouldn't just for a few weeks of a year get all excited about a, a child in a manger and the, 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 the beautiful carvings of animals that surround them in the nativity. We wouldn't get excited just about a, a tree with ornaments made from our kids, but we would, we would be excited about one who came, the grace of God, the loving kindness of God expressed in Jesus save us, to rescue us, to transform us, that we might be the type of people our world desperately needs and craves. Will you be captivated by the wonder of Jesus this Christmas? If you are fighting for wonder this year. Maybe it's because of disease. Maybe it's because of death. Maybe it's because of a loss of job. Will you understand that where you find ultimate wonder is not in lights. It's not in decorating to the extreme. It's not in another Christmas tree. It's not in the right gifts for the right people on the right list. It's not found in one more gathering. It's not found in shopping till you drop. It's not found in filling your life with so many experiences that you are just tired and burnt out by the end of the Christmas season. The wonder you search for is found in the God who loves you and sent his son to die for you and to give you hope. Our hope is that you will experience the true wonder of Christmas this Advent season. And our staff has done some hard work to help you in this process. Um, you may have grabbed one on your way in. If not, you can grab one on your way out. Um, our staff put together a Christmas devotional for you this year, just based on our Christmas series, Grace, the Story of Christmas. Now, you'll find in the devotional uh, one devotion for each week of Advent. There are five devotions in here. Uh, each devotion uh, not only has scripture, but some thoughts that you can read uh, by yourself or you can read with your family. Uh, you can read with friends. You can discuss them. There are questions. There are prayer prompts. There are even activities that we encourage. But all of them will help you keep Jesus at the center and really process the story of grace, uh, the story of Christmas. Um, again, we offer these one per family right now to make sure we have enough. If you need more than that, uh, you can buy them on Amazon. If you go to Amazon, search bar, look for Grace, the Story of Christmas, you'll find this book. Uh, it says by LCC staff, you can buy it there. And if you buy it there, we don't get any money from this, okay? It's all at cost. Um, and so you can buy extra copies so we have enough here. The copies here today are, are free and they'll be free until we, we run out. And if you don't get one for your household, let us know because we wanna make sure every household has one. But we hope that this will be a part of your journey this year as you experience the true story of Christmas, the grace of God. And it begins with wonder. Uh, kind of as we wrap things up, I, I wanna encourage you with a story. It was 1933, a small town in North Carolina, foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. July, um, there's a revival going on in town and a family had come for the revival. 
Her last name was Morgan. Uh, the Morgans didn't have very much money. The Morgans decided to kind of set up their uh, camp in the middle of the town square. Uh, they found that the town had this beautiful fountain in the town square, and that made a great place for bathing and finding water. And as you might imagine, the townspeople weren't too big of fans of the Morgans squatting in the middle of town and bathing in the fountain. But the Morgans had a daughter. Her name was Annie Morgan. And Annie, just at some point in her life, had been introduced to Jesus. Uh, they guessed that she was about 11 years old, just captivated by this Jesus she had heard her parents and others talk about. And she would just wonder, back in 1933, you could do that around town. And a man named John Niles heard her one day singing this song that he thought was probably some old spiritual song. And here's what Annie sang as she walked through town. Her little 11-year-old voice crying out, I wonder, as I wonder, out under the sky, how Jesus, my Savior, did come for to die. For poor, honorary people like you and like me, I wonder as I wonder out under the sky. Little Annie knew that as a poor, honorary person, that God loved her so much. And so she just sang as she walked through town, I wonder as I wonder out under the sky. John Niles heard her and said, Annie, you've got to come sing for the revival. And so he had Annie come up for the revival and she sang and the words just stuck in John Niles' heart. And so a few years later, he penned what became one of our Christmas songs that's based upon wondering about who Jesus is. And so my hope for you is that you will wonder as you wonder on this journey of life about this Jesus who came to die for you. No matter how honorary, no matter how poor, no matter how broken, and he invites you to something incredible. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you've been changing lives since the very beginning. I thank you, Father, that you've continued to change lives. That since your son came and lived and died and rose again, uh, that you continue to pursue us and rescue us. And whether it's Annie's life being changed or my life or the life of so many others in this room and around our world, um, your grace appeared that brought salvation. God, may we truly be astonished and amazed and captivated by who you are and all that you've done God, and may that set us on a path um, to live a changed life in this world. In your name we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. Mm -hmm.